Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. This week, uh, I, I got back from holidays and I, I looked at all the cards that had piled up while I was away and by far the most requested topic was on the issue of same-sex relationships. And so today, uh, I'm going to speak about same-sex relationships. And again, if, you, um, if this is your first time to church or you don't come to church very uh, often, uh, we, we don't often spend a lot of time, really any time, talking about this, but uh, it, it was something that we want to hear about, and I feel it's something that we should speak about. And so uh, that's what I'm going to talk about today. And this is, in some sense, a very simple topic. In, in another sense, it, it can be a complex complex topic. And I want to let you know my goal today is to be honest. My goal today is to be really loving. And my goal today is to be biblically faithful. And I just want to let you know where I'm coming from. So if you're new to church, this is where I stand. I believe that this is the Word of God, and I think this is the most amazing book you will ever read. It's, I believe it's God's Word, and I'm coming at this with the perspective that God's Word is inerrant. In other words, I think that everything that the Bible says is true. And you could come to me today with uh, all kinds of studies and different thoughts and ideas and concepts and They too may change in time, but I believe this. And and I just want to let you know that this is the angle with which I am talking on this topic because I believe in what the Word of God actually says. And I feel like today, as we talk through this, um, which will probably be more of a talk. I really love to preach, but it's probably more talking today. And I feel like there is going to be moments in today when I'm going to say something and some of you are going to get real excited about what I say because in your heart of hearts and in today's culture and society, uh, maybe you don't hear these things very often. So something may be very agreeable in your heart. Now, when you hear that, I'm okay with you getting behind the preaching in the sense that you are supportive of what I say, but I want to also say Just think about how excited you get. Because the truth is, if you are sitting next to somebody that you don't know very well, and I might add someone that you even think you know very well, you have no idea what's been happening in their life. You don't know their story or their background. You don't know the secrets of their heart. And so before you get very excited about some things, I want you to consider that there are real people with real issues. And I can say, being the pastor of this church, that I know that there are people in this church that have gone through this process of same-sex relationships and thinking about it and, and struggled with it. So why don't we pray? That's a great idea. Um, Feel free to pray for me, hey? Uh, why don't we pray? I don't think this is a big deal. We're just going to say what the Bible says, right? Let's pray. God, 
you are a good and loving and faithful God. And I, for one, and everyone else here, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth. And so, God, we pray that today uh, that truth would come forth, but also grace. And I pray, God, that there would be a balance between the message of truth and the way in which it's delivered being grace. And I pray, God, that at the end of today, wherever we land on whatever we're talking about, I pray, God, that people, no matter where they stand, that they would understand what you say, but also understand that we are a a, a loving church full of loving people. And uh, Lord, I pray you just help. (laughs) Amen. All right. So when uh, when I was growing up, when I was a kid at school, I think the worst thing that someone could call you was gay. It was the worst thing that someone could call you. And it was the most common uh, term used in a derogatory sense. Um, Someone would say that you're gay. And that's how I grew up. Um, it It was meant as an insult. And they wouldn't just say the word gay. There are so many variations of that word. And each time it was said, it was said in a derogatory way and it was said to be an insult and that's how I grew up. And that's how many people, I think, um, grew up with that being a real insult because no one wanted to be labelled gay. No one wanted to be called a homosexual. And I remember in in school, um, just really small things that would happen someone would suddenly accuse someone of being gay and it was all a joke, but then everyone could run in a million directions from that person as if they had some horrible disease that could be caught because it was airbound. Then that was the culture that I grew up in. That's my personal experience. And in saying that, this issue of um, uh, people uh, being in same-sex relationships is, as you know, getting widespread attention right now. It's getting widespread attention, particularly in schools, and there are programs, a safe school program that's being brought in to stop uh, kids that may be attracted or want to have a same-sex relationship to stop them from being bullied at school. And I, I am so against bullying. I don't like bullying in any sense. So that's what I'm really for. But do you know, studies show that if you're overweight, you're more likely to be teased than if you're a homosexual. So I think maybe we should develop a program for that too. I don't know. But It's getting widespread attention in our culture right now. And it's not just the same sex, like like being a homosexual. It's not just that part of the community. It's so much broader than that. And so I thought that this morning I would start with a couple of facts so that we can um, all start from the same place. Some facts, some definitions. The word homosexual was a word that was created in the English language uh, in the 1800s. Don't get me wrong, uh, it existed before that in other languages and it's been translated to be homosexual, but in the 1800s, that word was actually invented and uh, homo being same and hetero being different, same sex, different sex, homosexual is talking about same sex relationships. And I started to look at uh, even Australia, Victoria, and I discovered something really interesting, which was that until 1980 or 1981, which is coincidentally the year that I was born in, 
uh, it was illegal to be uh, a homosexual. It was illegal. It, it, it was a crime. And so I turned 35 last Sunday at church. And in the last 35 years, the world has shifted dramatically on this topic. Um, in fact, there is an entire community and they seem to keep adding to this acronym. It's almost hard to keep up, and I'm not trying to be funny. I want to be honest. It's the LGBTIQ, which is the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, and queer community. And here are the facts about that community. That community consists of about, in Australia, of about 2 to 5% of the population. And so the, the vast majority of people in Australia are attracted to the opposite sex, but there is a 2 to 5% population that are attracted to the same sex. It's hard to be specific because sometimes you just don't know. But this is what we have discovered, that the vast majority of Australians have an opinion about the minority and the rights of that minority. So we're not just talking about a small group of people fighting for their rights. Uh, we're talking about a large group of people that are largely opinionated about the topic of same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage. So it's actually very broad and it's in our face and it's very evident. And uh, if you don't believe me, just jump on Facebook and have a look. By the way, when you jump on my Facebook account, you won't often see that I make political statements. In fact, if you jump on my Facebook account, you'll see a nice picture of my family. Uh, we, we went to Little Athletics yesterday. I posted that and the kids were running. I'll post nice things. I'll post beautiful things. I like to post what I'm for. I find it really difficult to have a coherent conversation about the sexuality of the human race uh, over Facebook. In fact, if you do that, you're likely to be labeled a bigot. And if you do that, you're going to end up in a world of hurt when I would just rather sit down and have a cup of coffee about it. Because I find that over a cup of coffee, I can have a much better discussion. Facebook is like email and it gets out of control and posts get hijacked. So I just don't put myself in that position. But I like people to know, to know what I'm for. So I often, I'm for my family. I love my kids. So often you're going to see that. Um, today, I want to answer three uh, really important questions. I'm going to bring those up. These questions today will be, what does the Bible say about the issue of same-sex relationships? What do we say as a church? And then what should be our approach as a result of that? You're with me? Yeah. All right. That being said, let's talk about sex, baby. All right. So, you know. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Let's talk about sex, because that's what it's about. You've been created to be a sexual being. I'm sure that's not a surprise to you. You are created that way. It's not a mistake. It's not a problem. Uh, you've been created to be a uh, sexual being. It's part of being a human being. Um, but I think it's important to then go ahead and differentiate uh, some of the following terms. There is a difference between sexual attraction, sexual orientation, and sexual behavior. Sexual attraction would be the way that you feel about somebody, or the way that you feel uh, uh, about a member of the same sex. And I'm going to go ahead and say something. It might sound controversial. I don't think it is. 
but to be attracted to somebody of the same sex in and of itself, I don't think is a sin. I think it's just sometimes people are going to find themselves in that position. By the way, the latest research indicates that there's no gay gene. There's no homosexual gene. So when people say that they're born that way, I appreciate that they might feel that way from birth, but there's no gay gene. There's, there's no evidence to corroborate that in any sense. If you ask me for my opinion, and I'll admit that, that I'm no expert, but from all the research that I read and from scientific evidence and, and data that's been produced, I think it's probably a result of uh, nurture rather than nature. I think it's the way that people are brought up. I think it's their experiences. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on that. But I think it's just the way that someone feels. When we talk about sexual orientation, the way that somebody is orientated towards is something that's just happened inside of them. They don't necessarily find themselves in a position to be able to help the way that they feel. And just because someone feels a particular way, I don't think that that's a sin either. I don't think it's a sin to be sexually orientated uh, towards someone of the same sex. But then we go to sexual behavior which I, I think where the rubber hits the road. And if you begin to act on your orientation or act on your feelings, I'm going to go ahead and say that that is sinful. That's what I think is a sin. And so if I talk about sin, I use that word in this room, and there could be any number of thoughts and ideas about what sin actually is. So I think we should go ahead and define that so that we're all on the same page. You with me? So this is what sin means. It means to fail in terms of design and intention. It means to fail in terms of design and intention. In other words, God's created you with specific intent and you failed to meet the intention that he created you for. And I have heard it explained many ways. I like this way because it helps me to unpack it and understand. But let's say that you were uh, an archer and you had... Uh, a bow and an arrow and your goal is to take that arrow and let it go and you want to hit the bullseye in the center of the target that's what you're designed and in, that's what you're intending to do and let's say that there was a, a margin of error and you hit just to the left of where you intended to hit the bullseye that's called error many of you have experienced this if you ever grew up and you had to color in a picture and you went outside the lines, that's an error. You didn't mean to go outside the lines. You're meant to be coloring within the boundaries and the border, but you went outside the lines. That's error. And the Bible calls that sin. Would it be okay? Let me give you some examples of what sin is. Lying is sin. If you, if you say something that's not true, there's no such thing as little white lie. If you're dishonest, then I, that's, that's a sin. I, I think if you dishonor your parents in any way, I'm going to go ahead and say that, well, that's a sin too. If you go ahead and you cheat on your taxes, if you have claimed back more than you should have, no one does that much dry cleaning. Come on, we all know. All right? I know you can get away with it, but when you try to get away with it, you're getting away with it. That's called sin, all right? Because it's error. You're lying. You're being dishonest about it. If you're addicted to pornography, or even if you just watch it occasionally and you wouldn't consider yourself addicted, that's a sin. 
if you lust after someone, if you've ever pictured a member of the opposite sex, if you're heterosexual, and you've pictured them naked or you've thought about them in a sexual way that was gratifying to you, well, you know, the Bible says that that is sin too. And my point is, is that there has been a really big deal made out of homosexuality. Like a really big deal. And I'm going to say something, just my personal perspective and opinion. I think killing someone's probably a little more severe. I think murdering somebody, and we all would disagree with that, that murder is wrong, or we would agree with the fact that murder is wrong. In the church's history, we've seen people get excommunicated for being homosexual, and yet, you know what? When people have gone through a horrible divorce and they come into church, we put our arms around them and we say, we love you, we want to help you, we're going to restore you. When people come into the church and they've, they've had an adulterous relationship you fell from grace. First of all, I don't even know what that means. If it's grace that held you there, I don't see how you can fall from it. There's no falling from grace. You're put there by grace. But we know plenty of people that have found themselves in a situation like that, they're not excommunicated at all. In fact, we say, look, we should begin the process of healing and restoration and, and helping you. And I think, to be honest, and I'm broadly speaking, and I do speak on behalf of the global church this morning. No, I don't. Of course I can't. How can I speak on behalf of the global church? But I tell you what, I think we've done kind of in some ways a poor job of representing what we actually believe to be true and people expect extreme prejudice, which is why they're so uh, 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 against what we say and against what we believe or may confess to be true. And I experienced this. In fact, when I worked at, uh, I worked at a company, uh, in, a, in a recruitment company, and in, my, um, in the company, a lot of people knew who I was. And they discovered that I was studying at Bible college. And so it's almost, we are almost at that place right now that if you say you're a Christian, people think you hate homosexual people. And I don't. And I don't want to be labeled that way. So I will tell you something that I don't think I've ever said from the pulpit before, but I was out to break the stigma. I was out to break it. So this is what I would do. When I would go into the city office within the team that we worked in, there was a person in that who was homosexual. And I would walk in and say hi to all the guys, say hey to everyone. Hey guys, how you doing? It's good to see you. Because I worked in a regional office. And I would go along and I'd massage the shoulders of all the people in the team. And not in a weird sexual way, as in a greeting. Hello, how are you? You're working hard. All right. Please stay at this church. I'm going to go a little deeper. I only message the shoulders of the first three guys so I could massage the shoulders of the gay guy in front of everyone. I did it on purpose because I wanted people to know something about me. 
I'm for people. I love people. And I don't hate homosexual people at all. And so I would do everything that I could. And I'll tell you something. Me doing that broke the stigma that would be attached to what a Christian person was perceived to be. And it put me in a position where when I began to talk about spiritual things, everyone listened to me. Because I had people's respect because of the way that I treated them. And I think so much can be said about that. I don't have to agree with somebody's lifestyle to love them. In fact, here is what Rick Warren said. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. And I think that that's worth remembering because the truth is the Bible says things that disagree with our culture. And we're going to look at that right now. I want to look at the Old Testament. I want to look at the New Testament. The Old Testament, by the word, by the way, the word testament means covenant. A covenant is an agreement. I often say this at weddings. A covenant, in every covenant, there is an agreement between a superior and an inferior. In this case, there is an agreement between humanity and between God. And we can accept a covenant. You can even reject a covenant. But the one thing that you don't get to do is change a covenant because the terms are set by the superior. In this instance, it's God. So I want to look at the beginning. I want to look at Genesis. And I want to look at Genesis for a specific reason. There is something called a creative ordinance. And if you've never heard this before, and if you're unfamiliar with it, I want to explain it to you. When God creates something and He designs it and He gives it a purpose, it's called a creative ordinance. And because God is the creator, He is able to determine what should be done with His creation. Now, you don't have to like that, but it's true. Because God created people, He gets to decide what happens with His creation. So let's look at Genesis 1, and I want to look at design and intention. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was God's command to them. It was a blessing and it was a commandment. I want you to move forwards and multiply and fill the earth. He's designed people to do that. And I'm not trying to make a comment for people that may be present today that are struggling to uh, fall pregnant. That's unfortunate. That's not what we're talking about. I'm saying that God created Adam and Eve and He said, I want you to go forth and multiply. That is impossible in a same-sex relationship. But this is the decree given to humanity. You see, it wasn't just for Adam and Eve. It would be for the generations that would come after them that they should also be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth to go against what God God said would be to not fulfill his purpose for which we were designed and created. Genesis chapter 2, design and intention. It says, Then the Lord said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, this was the best day of Adam's life. The best. 
you imagine uh, seeing you know, chickens, and pigs, and goats, and cows, and bears, and lions, and thinking, this ain't going to work. He needed someone fit for him. God says, I have seen that there's no one fit for you. And he goes on to say, and then the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So he's brought them both together. And then the man said, being Adam, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, if you look at that in your Bible, it's written in a different way. It'll be indented in the page. And it's kind of in inverted commas. It's, it was part of a song that was sung, like he was singing something. That's because what's taking place in that song, in that phrase that we read, is a ceremony. It's a marriage ceremony. And if you've never seen this or you didn't know this, I don't expect you to because you actually have to read and research to help discover this and understand what was written there in the beginning. And if you think I'm taking liberty with the Scriptures, look at the very next verse. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. When he's talking about one flesh, he's talking about sexual union, sex, intimacy. That's why the passage about having a wife comes immediately after the song, the ceremony that we just read. See, notice how it says, the father and mother shall hold fast to his wife. Who was Adam's father and mother? Who was Eve's father and mother? And suddenly you see something in Scripture that may have been hidden to you previously. It's called a creative ordinance. And he's saying that from now on, this is the way that things will work. That man and woman will come together. They will become husband and wife. And post that, there will be sexual in intimacy and union. Genesis chapter 2. If you keep going beyond that, years later, God gave uh, the law. And he gave the law to the children of Israel. And I'm going to do this as quickly as I can for the sake of today. But the law was really divided into three areas. The moral law, ceremonial law, and judicial law. And where judicial law would deal with that specific time and place for some of those things. And the ceremonial law would be some of their festivals and their feasts that they would have. When it came to moral law, moral law was based on God's character. And so we're about to read God's moral law in light of his character. And you can read about this. And there's two passages that really speak directly to this. And they're in Leviticus, and you might already know them. Next scripture. Leviticus chapter 18 and 20 is dealing with God's law. And he says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to figure out what that means. It means what it says. And what it says is that it's wrong for same-sex people to come together in sexual union. 
The Old Testament is so clear in outlining the way that God feels about this. It establishes the penalty of death. And then something really important happened. Jesus came and the New Testament came as well. The New Testament being a new covenant. And the cross, the cross of Jesus changed some things, but it didn't change everything. In fact, if you read what the Bible says, he says, I'm not coming to change things. I'm coming to fulfill things. And the thing that was changed was that the penalty for sin was paid by Jesus. That's one of the things that changed. The penalty for sin was paid for by Jesus instead of the sacrificial system that they had in place. And the people that gain access to the grace of God are those that follow him. The people that model their lives on him and are Christians. So let's look at what the New Testament says in light of what I just said. Let's look at Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 28 says, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Now, in the Bible, there are two forms of God's wrath. In the Old Testament, you'll see that it's often filled with God's active wrath. In the New Testament, you see this. It's God's passive wrath. And what he does is he abandons people to the decisions that they're committed to make after they refuse to accept the way he's told them to go. Okay? He says, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, go back one. When it says, when Paul begins to write about they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, he is referencing a creative ordinance. That's why he mentions the Creator and who has been created. That's what he's talking about. He goes on to say, For this reason, God gave them up, again, God's passive wrath, to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I feel like the Bible is really clear on what it says about the issue of same-sex relationships. But Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. I'm going to go ahead and define that word for you in just a minute. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Now, when you read that in your English Bible, you see that phrase. But there are two words in the original language that I want you to pay attention to. The first word is asenokoites, and that means same-sex union, which is why it's translated as homosexuality. And the other word is malakoi. A malakoi means an effeminate male who plays the role of a female for sexual purposes. Okay? So those two words are very important. He says, Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I feel like he's so clear in what he's saying 
in the New Testament is so clear on what it says and how it feels about the issue of same-sex relationships and couples. And one of the things that I have heard that's come back to me, a quick look on Facebook will tell you the same thing, see a lot of memes about this, is that Jesus was silent on the issue of homosexuality. Well, if Jesus really cared, wouldn't he have actually said something about the issue of homosexuality? Well, here is my first point. You can't argue from a position of silence because Jesus didn't say anything specifically about incest or bestiality. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you he's not for it. So to say he didn't mention it specifically, therefore he must approve of it, is a very foolish argument. Indeed, it doesn't make sense. You can't say that. But my second point is that, in fact, Jesus did speak about sexual immorality. In fact, if you were to read the Bible, and you could read this in all the Gospels, go and cover it as as much as you want, in this scripture, Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, it says, And he said, speaking of Jesus, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality. Now let me define that word as I said that I would. The Greek word for that is pornea, which is where we get our word pornography from. And this is an umbrella word that was universally understood to be about same-sex union. It included a whole heap of things but it was universally understood in the culture to be about same-sex union. He goes on to say, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Listed in all of those things is sexual immorality, including in that same-sex union. And he says, all these evil things come from within, and these are the things that defile a person. So if you want to say that Jesus was silent on the issue of homosexuality, in fact, he wasn't. Next slide. Here's my third point. Jesus defined marriage from a biblical perspective. And we're not going to go there for the sake of time. But if you read Matthew chapter 19 and in other places as well, he talks about and he basically quotes directly from Genesis, again referencing that creative ordinance saying that, how, that man was designed for woman and that the two would come together and what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's what Jesus said. My fourth point is that Jesus went beyond the boundaries of the Old Testament. In fact, he's having a conversation one day in, uh, or he's preaching in Matthew chapter 5 and there's a whole bunch of people listening to him, and he says, you have heard that if you commit adultery, or that committing adultery is a sin, but he says, but I say to you, to even think of a person with lustful intent means that you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus increased the standard for morality. He didn't decrease it. And people heard that. They said, this is impossible. Jesus says, you're right. If you were to do all the things that I'm talking about, your righteousness would have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. They said, this is impossible. He said, ah, yeah, that's right. Hey, we know with God, all things are possible. In fact, fifthly, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, 
gouge it out. Now, he's not talking seriously. It's a hyperbole. He's saying, listen, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. You're better off going to heaven, going into heaven and being maimed than going to hell with your eyes and your hands. So if there is anything that could cause you to fall into sin, temptation, whatever it is, right? He says, get rid of it. Get rid of it completely from your life because you're better off doing that than going to hell and having both your hands and your eyes. I've heard people talk about Jesus and they say, well, hang on, what about the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria? You know, she'd had five husbands and the guy that she's shacked up now, he's not a husband. And what about the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? We know that the penalty was death and the Pharisees, they dragged her out before Jesus and they threw her in the dirt and they said, aha, now what do you say? What people confuse at this moment is that, yes, the penalty was death. We understand that. But also, it removes the opportunity for repentance. And I would say to you today, don't confuse God's grace with God's approval. She did deserve the penalty of death. As do we. But because of God's grace, He doesn't... Listen, God doesn't overlook sin. He deals with it. And he dealt with it when he hung Jesus on the cross to set us free from the power of sin that would be over our lives. Look, really simply, God says that sex outside of marriage is a sin. And then he defines marriage between a man and a woman. And that's our position on that. Because that's what God says. And the reason why this is so important is in the future, there are going to be options available to people that we don't even have now. The world is headed this direction. And I don't think I need to go through everybody's sexual preference to say, oh, no, that one's wrong. Can we land on this and say that sex outside of the boundaries of marriage is a sin? Hello to all the heterosexual people here today. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. It's defined as husband and wife, but outside of that boundaries, God says you just can't do it. So with that in mind, what should be our approach? And I see three options. We can expect people to change. We can accept them where they are and we can affirm them of the decisions that they're making. Let me break that down for you. If we were to expect people to change, our position would be that orientation is always a choice and people are just choosing a homosexual lifestyle over a heterosexual lifestyle. To expect people to change would say that people can and need to change. It would agree with the fact that they, it's required. It would range anywhere from condemning the act of homosexuality to the promise of healing people. And in summary, it's wrong. You need to change and we're going to do our best to help you. To accept people where they are would be to take this position. That it may not always be a choice. And that they may not be able to change. They can't help the fact that they're attracted to somebody of the same sex. 
it would agree with this, that you're welcome at church, that while you're accepted as a person, we don't agree or accept what you do, and you're encouraged, because you can't help but be attracted to somebody of the same sex, you're encouraged to live a life of abstinence. This position would not affirm same-sex marriage or relationships. And the third position would be this. It would be to welcome, encourage, and affirm people of same-sex behavior. It would be to say that it's not a choice, and since abstinence is basically impossible, you are okay to continue to pursue your homosexual lifestyle and relationship. Against, it would be against promiscuity, but in a monogamous relationship, it's okay you can continue to have a same-sex relationship. It would be in favor of same-sex marriage, and this position would require a radical reinterpretation of Scripture to the point where you would have to tear apart the very fabric and the core of everything that it says to arrive at this position, which is why I couldn't possibly take that position. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that every choice has its challenges, but this is what I genuinely believe, that just because desire exists doesn't mean it should be acted upon. And so as a church... I would adopt positions one and two because it's broad. It's, it's actually really difficult to define it. In no way do we affirm same-sex behavior or marriage. But I've had real conversations with people that say, say what you like about me making this as a choice, but this is who I am and I can't change it. And you can say whatever you want to that person, but from their perspective, they are saying, I can't help this. And I think it would almost be insulting to go to that person and say, you're lying. You can change. You're choosing not to. Stop lying to the church. Stop lying to God. Stop lying to... I can't take that position and say that. So, yes, I agree that people should change. And in fact, they, they do need to change. And why would I say that? Well, really simply because as a church, away from the issue of same-sex relationships, I just don't encourage sin. How can we encourage anybody to pursue anything? If you had an issue with lying, I'm not going to encourage you to pursue it. If you're struggling with a pornography addiction, again, you don't have my affirmation. And if you struggle with same-sex attraction, orientation, and behavior, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm not going to affirm that. But in the middle, I'm still going to find a way to call sin, sin, and still love you in the process. I caught up with a friend of mine for lunch a little while ago, and while this person was not gay, they had friends, very close friends that were, and this person was a new Christian, and I was waiting for this conversation to come. And they said to me, so where do you sit on this issue? And I explained to them in less words essentially what I said to you this morning. And I said to them, look, the Bible's really clear on the issue of sin. So I'm going to have to go ahead and call sin, sin. But this is what I said to this person. I said, I'm really clear on the role that I'm supposed to play in this. Because Jesus summarized the law. And this is what he said. He said, you're to love God and you're to love people. And so where should we go from here? 
that being our position? Well, I think that we should love God with all of our heart, with all of, all of our mind, with all of our soul, and we should love our neighbor. And when it comes to loving your neighbor, there's no asterisk that lets you off the hook whether you find their behavior particularly horrible or not. There's no asterisk. There's no getting out of what Jesus said. And word to the wise, there was a man present that heard these words and he thought he was clever. Don't try to outsmart Jesus. And he said, well then, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds, we don't have time to look at this scripture, but he, he shares the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the entire point of that parable was to teach this man who was trying to get out of loving his neighbor. The entire point of the parable was to say that your neighbor is whoever you come across on your path. As you're walking through the path of life, whoever you come across, you should love them. Because that's what Jesus said that we should do. You know, Paul said that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I can't imagine how possibly we would accept a heterosexual porn addicted person with open arms, with a loving embrace and say, hang in there. We're praying for you. We're believing you. And at the same time, judge a homosexual person to the point where they feel totally rejected by God. I, I don't know. Look, how do you read this? This is what I think when I read these scriptures. This is what you need to do. And this is my encouragement to you today. Don't make it difficult for people to follow Jesus. Do you know why? Because God loves them. He loves them. And if you have any desire to represent Christ in your community, whether it be sporting club, whatever it is, your workplace, if you have any desire to represent God, you would do well to follow what He says. In no way does that have to mean that you affirm people of the decisions that they make. But imagine if in your football club, a guy comes out and says that he's homosexual and the person defends him against bullying is the Christian. Wow, what an impact that might actually make. So I want you to remember a couple of things as I bring this thing to a close today. Jesus said, you will know my disciples by how they, come on. You will know my disciples by how they, one another. How should we be recognized? By how we love one another. That's, a, that's how we'll recognize that that's a Christian because they are outrageous at loving. They're so good at it. Have you seen how amazing they are at love? No one loves like a Christian. Boy, they stand out, don't they? Remember that Jesus said, you'll know my disciples by how they love one another. Remember that the L 
LGBTIQ community are real people with real feelings, regardless of whether we agree with it or not, they have been rejected for much of their life. They're hurt, they're broken, and they're real bitter against the church because they see us as the proponent behind their hurt. These are real lives that we're talking about. Love them the best way that you can. Please be careful with your words. I just read in my devotions this week that you will be judged on every careless word that you say. So be real careful with your throwaway comments and with your words. God's going to judge you on that. Can you, can you imagine for a minute what it might be like to be a closet homosexual person going to school and realizing that you're attracted to your friend, but you can't actually talk about it. And if anyone knew that your life would be over. So many people have suicided because they have been vilified. And, and, and to be honest, I'm, I'm against suicide. I'm for people. I'm for loving people. I don't have to agree with all their decisions in order to be able to do that. That I want you to remember that your doctrine can be right and your presentation can be wrong. You can be right about what you believe and you can be so wrong about the way that you say to it, just see Facebook for more details. So, I'm done. But, let me say this in closing. I hope that even though we don't affirm people of their choices that they make. Can you imagine if I did that with my own children? I love them so much. I don't approve of all of their choices. I'm going to do everything I can to help them. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, and that's something that's really going on in your world, you know someone that is, to be honest, my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out for the people that have struggled with that. And I don't have to agree with you, but I tell you what, I'll do my absolute best to love you. Because that's what Jesus said. I'm a follower of Jesus, so that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I'd encourage you to do as well. Make sense? Trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.